Hello, and welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies. Uh, I am one of your hosts. Actually Best Choice Movie. Yes. <laughs> we haven't gotten to that part yet, Caleb. Please restrain you. yourself. Please. Uh, it's an exciting time. Yeah, it is indeed. Yeah. Uh, I'm one of your hosts. My name is Chris Chafin. And I'm the other host, Caleb Shively. Hello. Uh, so this week, uh, we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of the Cannes Film Festival. Mm-hmm. It's happening right now in France. In I almost Cannes, said the south of France. The south of France. Have you ever, have you ever been to Cannes, Caleb? No, uh, I've only been to uh, the only city anyone ever goes to in Europe in general, Paris. Uh, Paris. Uh, I have it. I have been to Nice, but I have not been to Cannes. Uh, although so, I know a lot of people in the advertising industry. At least I industry, got the country so. right. You went to a totally different country. Oh, Nice is in France. I thought Nice was oh, in Italy. Dude, dude, dude. You played yourself. You played yourself yeah. so hard. Oh, is there, is there, there is a Nice in Italy, though. I don't think so. Oh, never mind then. I think it's in France. Maybe there is, because there is that place, Nice Pizza, in the neighborhood. And I always was like, oh, it's French pizza? That That's exactly what I was thinking. But I think it is, <laughs> think it might is be French, French pizza. I think it is French that pizza, Because yeah. they have, like, uh, pate on a sandwich. And I think the guys are French. Okay, so Nice is in France. Yeah. Um, My friends live in Lyon. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, to me, yeah. <laughs> I'm being so worldly and sophisticated. Uh, Cannes is really hard to get into, though, Like, it's, unless you're within the industry. I, I, there is ways to sneak into film there, but they're very... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you put on a trench coat, and you get on the shoulders of your best friend. There actually is articles about, uh, yeah, the, the, the Vincent Adult movie. I did a business! But there's actually, like, party crashing ways, because it is like a... Oh, yeah, I've seen those things. Uh, what yeah. is it? It's very high couture and haute couture. High culture, haute couture. Both of those combined. <laughs> uh, Cuddy Sark. It's very Cuddy Sark. Yeah. <laughs> Sarte. Sartre. Very, everyone's talking about Sartre the entire yeah. time. Yeah, exactly. But it's can. <laughs> so it's happening right now. Lots of great films. Maybe you've been reading the news about, uh, is it called The Dead Don't Die? No, what's it? Uh- yeah, dead don't die. Dead, the don't, dead die. don't die. The new Jim Jarmusch zombie movie just today, the day we're recording this, some reviews were coming out of that that were like mixed. I'll say the review that I saw, I think it was in Vanity Fair, was saying that uh, it was just kind of a downer. You know? uh, it's very, what I read, it's very self aware. I'm thinking zombies. What? You know, the undead. Ghouls. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Jim Jarmusch very much put himself into uh, Western with Dead Man or uh, the zombie features. Uh, I mean, with... the vampire movie yeah. that he did, I think, uh, is yeah, one of his best. The vampire movie. movie. It's great. But uh, this movie seemed very too self-aware from what I've been saying. But also people just don't mind to get the humor of the reviews I've read. I'm quite confident of my ability to defend myself against the undead. That's true. It could be. Although I think that's the thing is it's like it's not really that funny like it's like a a comedy that very quickly yeah. decides it's depressing you yeah know? patterson premiered at can whatever two years ago patterson so. premiered at can patterson, patterson premiered at can patterson premiered at can with adam driver okay. patterson premiered at can with adam driver in a bulldog uh but yeah that was a uh, more of a poetic movie that movie was about poetry in general um but so in honor of this festival i would say one of the great festivals would the, would you say that Caleb? uh one of the premier festival the best film festival the, uh and award Mm. Uh, as well uh, the, the palm door palm door yeah yeah, uh, um, yeah it's very very a uh, very cool thing uh it's a thing where a spikely movie can live next to like a three-hour romanian drama uh <laughs> in their own com- competition and then uh it 
really takes film seriously and loves film, I, 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 I would be a dream to go there. Send us there, person Send listening there. Send us there, person listening. Fund us. Uh, we're going to put a GoFundMe link for going to Cannes. <laughs> Um, so in light of this festival that's happening, uh, we're going to talk about two films from Cannes. Uh, the first is a movie from last year. It's called Burning. It's a Korean film. Yes. yes correct. Uh, and the second one is all the way back from 1991. It's the Coen brothers, Barton Fink, uh, which won the Palme d'Or among many other mm-hmm. awards at Cannes. Uh, that's all this week on actually best choice movies. Uh, but before we get to any of that, Caleb, uh, what's been going on with you this week? What are you watching, dog? What are you watching? <sighs> well, let's see. Living in a post Veep Game of Thrones world. Oh, yeah. All that good stuff. Veep was great. Uh, I mean, the main movies of the last two weeks, as we sit here, have been Game of Thrones. Like, those have yeah. been the main movies of the last couple weeks. We're not going to turn into that podcast, though. We'll spare <laughs> you. Uh, oh, my God. What do you think about what they did to Danny, right? I will say, though, I don't really see outside Peter D. Maybe Lena Headley, but I don't. And I guess Sophie Turner's in movies, but I don't really don't see a career from a lot for of those people. Of yeah, <laughs> they're all character actors, which is great. Maybe I mean, the Amelia, guy who plays Amelia the Clark Hound. has been in a lot of movies, but she'd I wouldn't be, say be, she's been like fantastic. She's them. been good in the. Last, I think this is her best acting season. I hope Macy Williams gets to be in movies. Oh, I hope so. Too. Just for the uh, great feeling I get when I see her, because because Arya Stark is amazing. <laughs> is that called sexual arousal? Is that the no, feeling no, that uh, it's not at all. <laughs> You're like, oh, I love that she looks eleven not that forever. She's, no, not that, not that. No, just uh, like it's Arya Stark, man. It's like Jordan hitting the shot, man. Arya Stark. No, I know she's doing her shit. She's cool absolutely thing. the best. Yeah, it's a, a, a exciting in a different way. <laughs> uh, Kit Harrington is in movies. He was in How to Train Your Dragon too. Oh, a that's movie right. I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, did you? So that you have seen that since the last podcast, right? No, uh, I the uh, Hidden World, which is the third one, is oh the third one, right? Is Sorry. high on my DVD queue. I still haven't seen that. I'm <laughs> actually pretty pissed. I missed that in theaters. Well, I missed a lot of animated in theaters. I missed Missing Link, which I usually see all the Leica Studio Leica movies in oh, theaters. Oh yeah, and that's Zach, right? Is the, Zach Galifianakis? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but a movie I actually did watch, <laughs> uh, Bisbee Seventeen. Uh, oh, what is that? It's what a documentary. So in America's first world war, the town of Bisbee, Arizona was very rich. Uh, and it's called Bisbee 17 because it's the centennial of the most tragic event in Bisbee history. Oh, my God. So during... Uh, Strap in, everybody. <laughs> uh, so what happened was uh, after all the uh, young men were off fighting the war, uh, the uh, it left it, Bisbee was rich because of their copper mines. So mm-hmm. people left to do the copper mines were... Uh, a lot of uh, Latin American immigrants and also a lot of Eastern European immigrants, uh, and it's working mine in the nineteen early nineteen hundreds. Very poor conditions that sucked. They tried to unionize you, uh, people. Uh, the rich people came in who were in charge. Like, nope, not doing that. Rounded them up, put them in a train to New Mexico, and said, "Never come back here." What? It's very <laughs> fucked up. Oh my god, that's so. Terrible. This movie uh, now visits oh present god. day Bisbee, which is crazy poor, uh, and. Uh, takes this up people who like the townspeople who don't really know about it and the word celebrate is a very uh not the word to use but like they recreate yeah. it for like the uh the bicentennial uh, excuse me the centennial of this tragic event. oh my god really uh they commemorate it you might say commemorate memorial yeah. so it reminds it. me of yeah. two, uh the, the josh oppenheimer documentaries which are amazing uh, uh look of silence uh, uh the act of killing those are the 
two of the best movies. Oh, sure. I've ever oh my seen. god, yeah. the act of killing is actually one of those things I really, really want to see, but I have been too afraid oh, to watch. God. I'm um, too afraid to watch it. It seems terrible. It's a. I mean, killing, it seems very, yeah. very emotionally wrenching. An, an Americanized, uh, easier version of that to take. Uh, check out Bisbee Seventeen, which is still very powerful and very resonant as uh, immigration is a very huge issue these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Act of Killing is uh, probably the I would say one of the best movies I've ever seen. It flips my mind. I was so like I wish that got. It was nominated for an Oscar for documentary. I was like, Please. is it from like last year? Like when? Active Killing was uh like four. That was when I was living here. <laughs> I remember watching... here meaning my apartment, yeah, apartment where we yeah, record uh, the podcast. Yes, yeah, right. yeah. Oh, so that's like yeah. yeah like I remember watching four it here, yeah. five years ago or yeah, something. Yeah, I remember yeah. watching it here. Yeah, I was like yeah, six years ago. Oh, thanks for inviting me to watch it with you, Caleb. <laughs> so nice of you. Uh, it's a lot. It is a lot to take. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I watched Busby Seventeen. Very that's cool. Very interesting movie. Uh, yeah, the people in it. <laughs> like it's hard to. Like I, I gave you the basic plot of it. But no, I mean I don't. I don't know. Another thing, Caleb. That... To be honest with you, I don't know what I was expecting you to do or say, but it was just hilarious. You know, it was just perfect. Just perfect. It's one of those things too, where it's uh, they're reenacting it, and it's a bunch of amateur actors, uh, which at times feels powerful, but also times just feels very real it and like also sounds... feels very like oh, this is charming because they're not good actors it sounds like if like waiting for guffman were serious oh yeah, that's a good call yeah uh <laughs> thank you very there much there is a uh it's fun to look at waiting for guffman as a sad i mean it is very tall, sad i, th- I think that yeah. movie is like super sad it's only sad if you don't think people like that are real yeah. people you I know mean, nothing ever happens in blame nothing ever happens in blame but do you know what i mean there's a certain kind of comedy where it's like like you know, a Christopher Guest movie, I mean, obviously I love Christopher Guest and obviously those movies mm-hmm. are great and I enjoyed them a whole lot. But at a certain point, you're looking at those movies and you're like, this is only really funny if you, th- it's not like empathizing with those people oh, in a lot of ways. It, yeah. It's it's like indicting those people, mm-hmm. but they're just like regular people. Like what does Christopher Guest have against like someone who lives in a small town? Like just because they're not famous, they're pathetic. You know, that's pretty, that's kind of fucked up and mean. Sure. Yeah, I mean, even though if that's like the per- what the person wants and that's driving mm-hmm. them, it doesn't mean they're like an object of ridicule. Uh, honestly, you know? I feel like both the movies we are going to discuss, Burning in, uh, Barton Fink, tackle like the connection of a writer to a common man. That is true. Explicitly in uh, Barton and Fink. Barton Fink. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. And kind of, kind of explicitly of, in Burning. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but before we get to that, <laughs> Chris, what did you watch? This you know, week? honestly, dog, I didn't watch fucking shit. All I've been watching <laughs> is Game of Thrones and the movies for the podcast. And other than that, I've been very like sleepy, so Aww. I haven't been doing a lot. Um, there hasn't been any good movies out. You know, Avengers Endgame came out, which I don't think we need to talk about. Oh yeah, uh, saw that obviously, and then like that's been the main movie that has been out. Like no, I, I almost true. I almost went to go see uh, the long shot. Long shot, yeah, yeah. But then I was like, I didn't. <laughs> You know, curious. Uh, I, I almost did the same thing too. I had like an afternoon. I was like, oh, I could do this. And I, and I actually stayed home and watched Bisbee 17. I definitely, <laughs> they were very charming together on uh, how did this get made? Like they were both on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I, I saw like a like a longer trailer for it or something that was completely different than the other trailers I'd seen. And I was like, oh no, this actually does look like a good movie. I bet it is charming. Like just a slight romantic comedy that is charming. That's mm-hmm. what I expect, you know. Uh, it looks like Dave, but with better actors. Is that the movie <laughs> Dave? The movie Dave is the president. Did you? What, there's so much wrong with what you just said. Why? Like it's wild, Dave, but with better actors. Do you know who the stars of Dave are? Wasn't it Kevin Klein and no. Sigourney Weaver? Oh, 
So you're saying <laughs> they, you're saying Seth Rogen, the millennial act. Well, Seth Rogen and Charlie's Theron are the good actor versions of Kevin Klein and. Uh, well, let's see. Would be, you have to compare Kevin Klein to Charlie's Theron? Which, ooh, that is tough. Kevin, but Klein, I, I mean, Charlie's Theron. There's no competition. I mean, they're both fantastic actors yeah. in their own way. But know? then, yeah, Sigourney Weaver wipes the field with Seth Rogen. I mean, as an actor, as a comedian and a writer, uh, and but an also you know, uh, from, Seth Rogen is and from great. what I guess uh, the roles uh, written for them, because if I remember correctly, Sigourney Reaver was a, p- a pretty poorly written role in general. I, she and was cool. I mean, she was she was she's the, always cool. But she was the she, first lady of yeah. the guy that Kevin Klein is impersonating slash Kevin Klein. And uh, they're estranged because the president is like philandering. You know, it's like a 90s Clinton kind of thing. And like, she hates him. Why can't you die from a stroke like everybody else? She hates me. Yes. But then with Dave, she finds him charming. Uh, it's good. I don't know. It's good. The whole movie's good. I actually have a really big soft spot for the movie Dave. Oh, like, damn. I just hate totally it. Totally improbably. Like, I actually love that movie so much. I probably didn't like it because I was like... 10 when i saw it and i was like yeah. yeah i don't need this dude there's this kind of like there's 90s, no action in it there's this kind of 90s entertainment for like uh 35 year olds that i love like i want to go back to you know i want to be my age now but in like 1994 like that would be great or 1992 maybe you want to be a gen xer no that's not i would be much older than a gen xer i thought gen xers were teens in the 90s i said i want to be my age now uh-huh. as in 36 but in like 1992 oh, yeah more. I'm just saying, Rest like, peace, I want to live in this like plaid shirt tucked into my acid wash jeans. I'm watching Clear and Present Danger. I'm watching like Evening Shade sure. on TV, and I'm watching uh, <laughs> Dave. You know, <laughs> like anyway. So yeah, we can <laughs> skip over me. I'm not. I'm not listening <laughs> to shit. Let's get. Let's fucking dive right into it. Okay. Sure. Um, the, Burning. Yeah, the first movie we're gonna talk about this week is Burning. <laughs> Burning. Uh, Lee Chang Dong does you dirty. It's a very dry story, <laughs> kind of a comedy. It's about class warfare. It's on top of a puzzling mystery of a missing person. Along the way, it's dotted with all these ex- existential contemplations on self-motivation. Existential. Existential motivations. Existential. Existential contemplation on self-motivations. Uh, you can't and you should not try to classify burning into any genre. Uh, the South Korean director reproduces a uh, Haruku Murakami uh, short story uh, oh into a two and a half hour slow burn of a movie. Uh, what starts out seemingly as a love triangle turns into a tale of resentment and toxic masculinity, culminating into a what I find a shocking climax. I would agree it was shocking, yes. Uh, burning. Uh, the title not only explicitly refers to the act of uh, fire and burning something, but also to the complexities of longing after someone and uh, desire, and perhaps notably so, uh, the burning desire of solving the mysteries of the film itself. Ooh, interesting, Caleb. Yeah. Interesting. I'm it's, literally stroking my beard yeah. as you say these things. It's a very slow burn movie, uh, it's, so to speak. Mm-hmm. There's a then there's a centerpiece of it of a nice, uh, just a very good center of a movie of just one scene which we'll talk about i'm sure and then it picks up its pace so rapidly it really it turns into something else it's amazing beat of 
directing. Wait, I have so much to say, but the first thing I want to say about this movie, which was, by the way, took me a lot by surprise. So I saw that it said it was based on a short story, but I it just says the title or in, in the credits, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. and I didn't do any research. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> but I was saying to Catherine, I was like, oh, you know, it actually reminds me a lot of a Murakami story because <laughs> like people talk about jazz a lot. There's a long sequence of someone cooking food mm-hmm. and someone maybe did or maybe didn't fall down a well. And I was like, these are all just like classic Murakami. And then as the movie goes on, it's like someone maybe did or maybe didn't disappear. And like an animal maybe does or yeah. maybe doesn't exist. Like all of that is so Murakami. Mm-hmm. So for you to say like it is a Murakami short story, like I'm blown away uh, the like short I, story I feel is called, very good uh, burning barns a barn burner i think is what it says in the credits oh. barn burner or maybe it's you know it's probably translated differently yeah. can i just say speaking of that like that was one thing that kind of got me a little bit like not to be like overly literal but the story is called barn burner but in the movie they talk a lot about burning greenhouses Green yeah. so i was wondering if that was like a translation thing or maybe it was like they couldn't find barns uh, to burn for production the of the movie short or story like, which i didn't read was it's very uh like as murakami it's japanese uh so he just you know translated planted everything to korea right. it is a very uh korean movie uh, he lives on a uh, korean well movie. yeah so but i mean that's that still doesn't get at this barn barn slash greenhouse thing mm-hmm. like what which is he burning in the story is it barns or is it greenhouses in the story yeah or and or is it like a translation thing where the title is just called barn burner because that's like a phrase mm-hmm. but really he's talking about burning greenhouses maybe in Paj- which one is it caleb barns or Paj- greenhouse city they just had more greenhouses to burn and it probably uh is easier as the the plot point is he burns greenhouses as like his escape Mm -hmm. uh so they probably worked more for the story as they are easier to burn yeah right and it's like much cheaper i'm sure to burn like to put up a plastic like a plastic frame Mm -hmm. with plastic sheeting than it is to like build 10 barns and burn them down So we're not telling much about the plot, which sure, is probably yeah. a good thing because you can go watch this. But you on can Netflix. if you want yeah, to. Yeah, I could, uh, and I probably will a little bit. But it's <laughs> it's a very mysterious movie. The basic plot is uh, uh, Jong Su uh, meets sees someone. He he's a down on his luck. He's a writer. Uh, he just graduated. Young, yeah, he's like young, early twenties. Uh, he lives alone. Yeah. Uh, has like a shitty job smokes sees, a lot of cigarettes sees a, a girl uh, meets up with a girl used to know they rekindle they have sex uh, then she has to go. Uh, she goes on vacation. When she comes back, she brings back. She's seeing another guy, and that's Stephen Yuen, who Steven is great. Stephen Yuen, who that's, is so good. He's in, who's so hot right now. So hot right now. Uh, he, and he's so good in this movie. He's very, 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 very good. good. Uh, honestly, like there was a small, very o- Oscar campaign for him. Oh, was there really? Uh, and I thought that as a big fan of this movie, I was like, oh, that's probably because he is the only American actor. But no, it says he. I, this is my. He's uh, very good. second time watching this movie. Like, no, it's so fucking good. He's so good. Uh, Stephen Yuen is. A blank menace. If well, you know what's so interesting. So yeah. So so Stephen, just to pick up very briefly, Stephen Yuen comes into the movie. He's very wealthy, and he sort of kind they, of steals this girl they away. Refer him to him as Gatsby. Gatsby. He's they like ask, a Gatsby. Yeah. For example, he's, they uh, ask him what he does for a living. He just says, "I play." Yeah, exactly. These days, there's no difference between work and play. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so what the main character, Jong Su, is that Jong Su, yeah. yeah. What it says about him is like, oh, it's he's a Gatsby. These people who are wealthy and you don't know how, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and you don't know what they do all day. Uh, but so he comes in and then the girl disappears and there's a question of what happened to her. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, did she really disappear? Did she run away? Mm-hmm. Did something happen to her? And the main character, Jong Su, comes to suspect that Stephen Yuen has had something to do with. Yeah. So uh, it starts out like, as like, oh, it's a love triangle movie, but pretty quickly turns into a, a class structure yeah, movie sure, yeah. 
Uh, like almost immediately. Yeah. yeah, right. And again, this is a this is a two and a half hour movie. They take their time with everything. Can I just say that was out. the first thing that really surprised me about this movie is mm-hmm. that it was two and a half hours long. I did not see that. It coming. goes by very quickly too. Well, it I, does. Thought, I mean, yeah. more or less. Um, yeah. uh, but so, so, so what I was going to say about it is so Stephen Yuen. It's like once the the Jong Su starts suspecting that he had something to do with uh, the woman disappearing that we come to see him as very sinister and he's kind of been seemed sinister the whole time. But if you rewind the movie in your mind and look back on the things he actually did, he's only nice and polite the entire movie. He doesn't do anything yeah. that's even approaching creepy mm-hmm. at all. And this is uh, by design from the great director, Lee, Lee, uh, Lee Chang Dong. Uh, so we only are his character. Uh, Steven Yuen's character name is Ben. We only see Ben from the perspective of the protagonist of uh, Jong Su. So it is a lot of you're jealous of him. You see how how his uh, affability makes him kind of a dick, mm-hmm. uh, and he does kind of like sleep around. He, he did steal his girl and was like. But it was so interesting because it wasn't so much that he stole. The, so there's this great scene. So basically what happens is uh, the woman and Ben come back from Africa and the three of them. And there's obviously there's they're close. But according to the what we're told, they've been hanging out in the, in the airport together for like a day or two days because they were it stuck was, in the airport. Uh, like three days. Three days, right. But so like. There's a possibility if they were literally stuck in the airport for three days, they didn't have sex or even make out because they were... They said they were the only Korean people there. Yeah, Yeah. they were the only Korean people in an airport, like, you know, not to make broad stereotypes, but I doubt they, like, had sex in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Uh, There's a really uh, right off the bat scene when after they meet meet where it's uh, he drives them to go get dinner. Oh, well, this is what I was going to talk about. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, And he's taking a phone call. It turns out it's with his mom, but he's like being very loud while they're like awkwardly driving. Yeah, like he's he his the car that uh, Jong Su drives is a very uh, shitty like it's pickup. his dad's old yeah. farm pickup truck. Yeah, but the funny thing about that is like so at first you're like oh yeah he's like an obnoxious because the, they're both so quiet the main characters mm-hmm. they're very reserved right very yes. very reserved. Jong Su is a very uh, in, introverted writer. Like he barely says anything. Um, and so you're supposed to be like, oh, this guy's so confident and loud, but it's like, that's how I sound when I talk to my mother. Do you know what I mean? Like he's just being a sweet son, dutifully calling his mother the second he gets back into the country, which is like exactly what you're supposed to do. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Especially in like in a, in that kind of culture, you know, Mm -hmm. that's Uh, why it's a very uh, amazing acting performance from Steven. It's like I said, a, a blank menace. Like, yeah, you are projecting onto this stuff, but also you can read into who it is. And they do leave clues mm-hmm. about uh, the mystery. Like, uh, yeah. it turns into a mystery. Like, Jong Su turns into a detective. There's like a, a very yeah. weird chase scene in it. Oh my God, yeah. Um, but, the, yeah, but I mean, actually, they don't really leave clues. They, well, they do, they just do callbacks, mm-hmm. but also they do a lot of uh, absences. Uh, in place of clues, and I mean absences, uh, like we referred to as uh, well. There's an unseen cat in this movie. Yes, yeah. uh, like he uh, when she's way in Africa, he's supposed to go feed her cat. We never see the cat. Never. He never sees the cat, uh, uh, and he's kind of not sure it exists, except that he mm-hmm. sees its poo in the litter box. Yeah. That's like the only clue that it actually is real. Mm-hmm. And then it does. That does come back later on towards yeah. the end. Uh, there's a well that may not exist. Exactly. Yeah. So fucking Murakami. <laughs> uh, and there's also someone who keeps calling and hanging up, which also comes yeah, back. Yeah, so there's yeah, a lot yeah, of just yeah. like cool absences that are very prevalent in this movie. That was very, very cool. Oh, where there's like a void where there should be something. Yeah. Well, it's there's which is uh, which is Jiangsu projecting and 
Yeah, digging yeah. deeper into those. Well, things. that's also kind of like his relationship with his dad, which is this kind of major subplot. Is his dad owns a farm out in the country, and that's where Jiangsu moves at the beginning of the movie, and that's why he has his dad's truck. And his dad has like gotten into some kind of fight with a local official, and we never hear what it is or what yeah, happens. Says his dad has anger issues. Yeah, but the implication is kind of well. Number one, that his dad has anger issues, and number two, it's like his dad is obviously very poor, mm-hmm. and he got into some kind of fight with a local official. So you know, you can assume the local official was doing something bad or trying to kick him off his farm mm-hmm. or asking for a bribe or like who knows what you know and that his dad lost his temper but it seemed we see jong su like staring at his his dad's picture inside the house and he very dutifully goes to his dad's two court hearings but he never speaks any yeah, says he, a word to his dad and he basically doesn't even want to make eye contact with yeah. him in the courtroom but it's obviously like he's has this very strong tie to him but we don't really it, it's like you're saying it's like there's a void mm-hmm. there where there should be something some kind of relationship yeah that's a, that's a great point and there's that also is a very male thing too and this movie is very male and i say that in the way that bad things can be shown in a beautiful like explicitly told in a a, a different light uh this is a very male movie like the <laughs> jealousy that they, uh, yeah. they that he has towards ben and he definitely uh, only looks at the woman as like a sex yes, object you know it's true yeah uh, they have sex early on, which is kind of uh, funny. And it's it also a very long sex yeah. scene. Like, it was kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. It was it went on a very long time. Uh, in that scene, there's a very funny detail. Where she talks about how the light, you have to get lucky to catch the light. And then as we're just having sex, there there's like that glimmer of light that goes across. He sees the light like basically like yeah. exactly as he comes. And mm-hmm. then he comes back to the apartment when he's feeding the cat. And he's like masturbating, looking at the reflection yeah. of the light, which is like, <laughs> it's very literary, you know? Uh, yeah, there's like a, it's a very serious movie, but like that, the light from the tower, there's like things that like a, break it up, like the light from the tower. Uh, there's a scene where he's uh, scooping cow shit and he sings it in a very like goofing off <laughs> yeah, manner. Yeah, right. it's really silly. There's a consistent yawn that he always projects, like uh, when he sees uh, Ben at. There's two parties they go to, and Ben he catches Ben yawning mm-hmm. at both of them. It's little tiny little details, and it's also very good, dude. The the one where it's like because it's kind of like you're supposed to get the idea that Ben is getting bored of the yeah. woman, maybe because she's like performing for mm-hmm. everyone, doing this like crazy dance, and Jiang Su looks over at Ben and he's yawning and then kind of catches his eye and just smiles a little bit like yeah i'm putting up with this you know what i mean like i'm not really that amused by this but she's having fun uh there's also things that break it up uh of like i said i referred to the centerpiece of this movie uh they go visit jong su at his poor house (laughs) in his porsche ben's porsche uh and it's like the last scene where all three of them together they get stoned and uh Jaime oh which is the girl's name uh starts dancing to a, a Miles Davis song and it's just like this weird like with her this, top, topless yeah, she's topless the sunset yeah. uh it's she, definitely like we- the kind of thing people who don't smoke pot thinks happens yeah. when you smoke pot like there's jazz music playing mm-hmm. you're in a field of flowers there's like a beautiful <laughs> girl with her tits out like jamming in the sunset <laughs> light you know it's like it's really mostly you like sit around and, uh, in a parking lot is what happens not to give it away but like the way uh both characters react to it kind of like propels the movie forward from there mm-hmm. uh, and that's turns the movie into something like more hitchcockian more, definitely definitely yeah. definitely yeah with like paranoia and chases and terrifying phone calls and all sorts of stuff actually what i was going to say before it just to kind of jump way sure, back sure. Is um because you were saying that Ben kind of steals the girl, which is is kind of true, but it's also kind of like Jong Su is like 
too shy to stand up for himself. Yeah, he's yeah. Because there is this is what I was going to say. Like after they get back from the airport, they all go out to dinner. The three of them, like you're saying, they all drive out together. And then at the end of the night, it's like they all go out to the cars. And Jong Su has had like his driver bring his Porsche up. So there's two now. There's two cars. And so, uh, uh, or not Jong Su. Ben has had his driver bring mm-hmm. the Porsche. So then Jong Su gives Ben his bag, and Ben puts it in his car. And then the- um, they're talking. And then it's like everybody realizes at the same time, like, oh, am I is is Jong Su going to take out her bag too yeah. and give it to Ben or not? And they all kind of look at each other and Jaime is like looking at Jong Su like, I want to go home with you. Mm-hmm. And Jong Su goes, uh, Oh no, you can get a ride with him. It's yeah, fine. The, you know, he, he completely makes, he makes gives excuse. it away. He completely gives he it makes away. Makes the excuse that he has to like, Oh, I have a long drive. I have anyway. a long drive anyway. Yeah. But it's like so real mm-hmm. and so tragic. And it's like, yeah, she didn't want to do that. So she the, wanted to go home with him, but he has like low self esteem mm-hmm. and he doesn't want to get enough confrontation. So he's like, that, like, he doesn't pursue yeah, it. You know, like, I thought that scene was like beautiful. Yeah. I really liked that. He sees another male. He's intimidated by it. He like yeah, shuts, this guy's like shuts, fucking so rich and handsome and charming. It. Yeah. And as this movie goes on, we see like the seed. That's a first seed of plant of just like that male resentment of just yeah. like the jealousy. Not for not because this director Lee Chang Dong, this director plans out everything so well. Uh, I read an interview with uh, Stephen Nguyen, uh, and this is amazing uh, that their director instructed him. That, uh, there is a big twist in this movie that we're not going to reveal because mm-hmm. of things. Uh, the twist is also a thing that you, as an audience member, don't know what happens. Uh-huh, yeah. uh, the, what I read in this interview is that uh, Stephen Yuan is the only person in the world who knows because it's based off of his character. Mm. And he said he'll never tell. Oh, my God. Uh, that's a very, very cool thing. Like, oh, yeah, uh, he let me decide and I got to play it. That's so interesting. I guess so you're is, saying I could say he's we the only spoil one. It. Yeah, that... You're saying like whether or not he was involved. Oh, yeah. In the, in the mystery. Yeah, I guess we did talk about we it. We said she disappears. And yeah. the question is, is he involved or isn't he? Yeah. Uh, so the question is, so it's like he got to decide whether he as an actor. Yeah, I guess it's not a it twist because we talked about it. But there's um, another twist that we're not going to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's so interesting because that's such a crucial thing to yeah. acting. They talk about it's like you you want to have a secret for your character. Mm-hmm. And that's like His... the absolute extreme yeah. of that, you know. You know, in a certain sense, it was definitely not what I was expecting. I, I thought it would be, like, more taut with this kind of Hick, Hitchcockian tension the entire time. But really, it's not until way, way yeah. later in the movie. The The whole first half, or more than first half of the movie, is like... You know, it's like you're saying. It's like a romance. It's like a, it's like a love triangle. It's a lot of just like driving around <laughs> Korea. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, you had to see a lot of uh, upper class, lower class stuff. Well, that is a huge part of it, actually, yeah. that we should talk about. So much of it is about class. Obviously, in Korea right now, mm-hmm. as in everywhere else in the world, there's this huge inequality, um, you know, problem that's happening everywhere. Like one of the first lines that uh, hey, hey, Jaime. Jaime says is like. Because they grew up together, her and Jong Su, and she's like, "Oh, you don't recognize me? I got plastic <laughs> surgery. Aren't I beautiful now?" But it's like she's poor, and the they keep saying like, "Oh, these pretty girls, they all have so much credit card debt, and like, you know, <laughs> nobody, they just have to run away from their debt." And uh, you know, Jong Su is like living out on this farm. I mean, I feel like so much of the the subtext of the movie beyond the the stuff we're talking about is like it's about you know what kind of person do you want to be, and what do you what are your values, and like what do you hold dear? Because like Jong Su is very like a traditional person mm-hmm. who's like poor and also has this idea he wants to be a writer. You know, the life of the mind. Yeah. To talk about Barton Fink in a minute, but like um, 
and but then uh ben is like just super fucking rich but like doesn't seem to do anything or care about anything yeah, except yeah. just like hanging out and uh the jaime is like somewhere in between you know like she obviously wants to be rich mm-hmm. but yeah, also she wants to like, be an actress yeah wants to be an actress but also wants to have like some genuine like love yeah. in her life yeah she speaks a lot about uh Little hunger and big hunger. Little hunger and big which, hunger. Which yeah, yeah, the themes goes that. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, little hunger being she's being a, hungry and big hunger being what is the meaning of yeah. life? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she's definitely uh, the mo- nice character, the one you uh, like the most. She just seems <laughs> yeah. very like guileless. Yeah. Like she doesn't have a she doesn't have a hidden motives. Yeah. Like she's just doing she's being herself. Yeah. Uh, with Ben, you're just kind of being like, oh, I get like. But then with Jong Su, you're. I don't know. I, I I guess you're projecting a lot onto how you feel about introverts because yeah, right. He is just a very he's uh, very down on his luck yeah. dude, but also because in a certain sense, on a certain level, he's like mm-hmm. a complete loser, right? Yeah. You know, like. But he seems like he's like a nice, genuine person. Mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, we don't really see him do. It very is much. interesting to see what he finds to motivate himself, which is uh, like I said, he sex motivates him. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, his father. Uh, he does have to get uh, sign a petition for his father. Oh yeah, that's point. like really cute and sweet. That yeah, he does that. Yeah. Uh, he also wants to be a writer. He's a big Faulkner fan, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really like try super hard there. <laughs> yeah, right. That's funny, Faulkner. That's like another link to the next movie. Oh, sure. Which should shall we move on? Do you have anything else to say? Uh, I'll just give a shout out to uh, I'm not going to say his name correctly, but the cinematographer's name is Kyung Pyo Hong. Uh, he also did Snowpiercer, which is oh, a movie that is dope. Yeah, Korean man. I would say dope as shit, dog. Dope as fucking. Dope as fucking. Double dongs, double dude. Double dong shits. Uh, but yeah, that's the only thing I wanted to say about the cinematographer. Which there's a great cinematographer for. I'll do the connection <laughs> segue. Uh, cinematography for the next movie we're talking about, Martin sure. Fink, was the start no. of a beautiful relationship. This yes, is Roger indeed. Deakins' first Roger movie Deakins, yeah. with the Coen brothers. Uh, yes, he would normal until that point they had done all their movies with uh, Barry Sonnenfeld, but then he was directing the Adams family. <laughs> yeah, so he was unavailable. Uh, so they got uh, Roger Deakins. Yeah, which then obviously they worked with him forever. Yeah. And you, you can. Okay, so let's let we'll talk about it. We'll talk, so the next movie we're going to talk about is Barton Fink. Is that him? Is that Barton Fink? Say whatever the hell you want. The writer is king here at Capital Pictures. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bond? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy a song. Is that more than one thing? Okay. Joel and Ethan Cohen were deep into writing their uh, old-timey sad crime masterpiece, Miller's Crossing, uh, in the late 80s, but then they got stuck. They didn't really know where to go with the script. Uh, so they took a break, and for fun, they wrote another script together just kind of as, you know, to get their minds off of it. Uh, and it only took them about a month, they say. Um, that script eventually became Barton Fink. Um, John Turturro stars as the titular Barton Fink, uh, who is not coincidentally a screenwriter who can't finish a script. Like once you know this is the conditions they wrote it under, it's very a lot of it falls into place. You know he's uh, surrounded by like idiotic and aggressive studio executives. Wallace Beery, wrestling picture. What do you need a roadmap? Alcoholic authors. And- Are you a writer, Mr. Fink? infinite distractions Howdy, neighbor. even when he locks himself in this incredibly shitty hotel room uh to try to write this script he's supposed to write which is a, a wrestling movie basically he's a uh, new york playwright who's very famous and then he gets recruited to go to la and write a movie and this all takes place in 1941 um 
it features people like Steve Buscemi, uh, Tony Shalhoub, and John Mahoney. Uh, but its best performance is, most people say, and I would agree probably, is John Goodman. Really? John Goodman, who plays the guy who lives in the hotel room next Charlie to... Charlie Meadows. Yeah, John Turturro. Yeah, Charlie Meadows. He's like a very friendly and menacing guy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, Barton... You might say I sell peace of mind. Because he's fucking huge. He Because he's huge and he's still young at this point. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't seem just fat. He also seems like powerful, <laughs> which is, makes him very scary. Um, so the movie was a huge success at Cannes in, uh, you know, 1990, 1991, whatever year it was there. Um, it won the Palme d'Or. It won Best Director and Best Actor. It actually won so many awards that the festival changed the rules to prevent uh, another movie in the future from winning this many awards. Um, you only win two now. Yeah, so, and then, yeah, the other big thing was that Roger Deakins thing, but thanks for covering that. <laughs> so, um, Caleb, I have never actually seen this Whoa, movie really? before. Yeah, I mean, I love the Coen Brothers, but yeah. I've never seen it. It's um, my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Well, yeah, tell me why. Because I feel like sometimes, so I did a lot of reading after we saw it, and I feel like there's kind of a split. Like, some people view it as a very, like, dense puzzle, you know, fa- fantastic sure. movie, and some people view it as, like, kind of a minor movie. Oh, it's... I could split that difference. I think it's, I never get the same feeling from watching it. Like there's, it exists in, within so many genres. Uh, it's very funny. It's uh, almost has parts of horror oh, aspects sure. to it. Yeah. It's about uh, writing. It's very meta. Uh, it's full of the, my favorite character actors, which you named. And also yeah. uh, the, Michael Lerner, who got an Oscar nomination from this. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's crazy. That's crazy. John Polito. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I love John Mahoney as he's oh, playing yeah, like John a, Mahoney. He's playing like a William Faulkner analog, yes, like is, a, yeah. a very famous Southern novelist, very, you know, respected, who's like become just a complete alcoholic and is writing shitty movies in Hollywood. Uh, if you look on my Instagram, at Kales Bively, there's an underscore in there. You're not going to remember. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, they didn't put uh, John Mahoney in the... Uh, in memoriam at Oscars, and I was kind of oh, pissed. Is that true? I was kind of pissed at that. Oh, and I posted that picture. Of, yeah, uh, WP May- Mayhew. WP Mayhew. Yeah. yeah, the the WP Mayhew. Yeah. <laughs> we meet him vomiting like, like forcefully in a bathroom <laughs> but he also is has his he's wearing like a three-piece suit and he's got his knees on a monogrammed handkerchief while he's throwing <laughs> up which is so and he comes out you know folds the handkerchief puts it in his pocket washes his hands and leans over to barton and says sorry for the odor <laughs> which is like amazing amazing uh, there's like so many like just scenes with that where you get to live with these characters and character actors and then also the way it's shot is like very like drab but also very lively well the way it's I very would... retro well, but very, very also retro, not yeah. at all at the same time because it feels so uh present it's just a, a, a you could live with it for a while oh my it's God, a yeah. movie, very movie you could watch like three or four times which i've seen like three or four times and I would... like still pick up new things and oh, still for sure be like oh i didn't really ever think i mean about it's this. the kind of movie they would teach like half a class mm-hmm. on in film school you know i mean the, speaking of how it's shot it is shot beautifully i mean knowing that it was a first-time cinematographer working with them you can definitely see that roger deakins is like trying to do a very good job mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like he is not phoning it in at all he is doing as much work as he possibly can which isn't saying he's overdoing it at all he's not overdoing it but it's just I, like 10 minutes into the movie, I wrote a note like, oh, obviously this is a perfect movie. But all I really meant was it looks beautiful. It looks so yeah. beautiful. I feel like with the Coen brothers, because uh, they play a lot with like what's on screen, what's off screen. So like he he just had to like follow orders too. Like uh, there's a f- 
the uh, uh, more famous shot. I don't know if there's a famous shot from this movie. No, I think well, according to this article I read in the Atlantic, but there's there's a a famous um, shot. When he's having sex instead. Yeah, this is the famous yeah, okay. shot. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like kind of a playoff, like when the train goes in the tunnel in that one Hitchcock movie. But well, it's sh- in like in every old yeah, movie when yeah. people have sex and the train goes but in the tunnel. But this is yeah. a, uh, something going down a drain pipe. <laughs> and, and it was like a very, like, you're following the drain pipe too. It's- supposedly that's also supposed to be a thing where, because um, earlier John Goodman, who lives in the hotel room next door, has said he could hear everything through the pipes. And so you're supposed to also infer from that that John Goodman is listening to them uh, having sex. I have also a theory in this movie, which we could spoil this movie. It's been I mean, out it's for, been out for 30 nearly years. thirty years. Yeah. Uh, my th- is that John Goodman kind of is the hotel because he does explicitly say, "I'm never, I can never leave." Yeah. So there's a so the whole thing is uh, John Goodman is like bothering him. He's in the hotel room next door. He says he's an insurance salesman. It turns out he's a murderer, mm-hmm. and he murders this woman that uh, Barton Fink has sex with. Uh, although we don't find out that until later on. Yeah. But then they're still very cordial with each other after that. <laughs> um, and there's uh, this whole sequence at the end where like uh charlie comes back and the hotel is lighting up in flames behind him and it's all very like metaphysical and you know i will say from the moment they arrive at the hotel um he you know he has this whole thing of like oh am i gonna go to la am i not gonna go to la and he decides everybody tells him he should but it's like obvious he should not and then he does and it's like it's like he has died like that it, oh yeah everything about arriving at the hotel and signing into the book and like the way that it's shot and mm-hmm. it's it's like it's the afterlife like he has died and the gone movies, to hell. Coen Brothers really wanted uh, wrote about a lot about the hotel itself. And oh, they really? just like concise that down into more of a, this actual story. So it goes to this hotel, which could be a stand-in for hell or purgatory or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and he meets the guy. I say John Goodman is part of the hotel. Like the hotel walls are always falling down. John Goodman's Oh, and ear. they're oozing this because yeah. it's like... And the, as the... is John Goodman, his ear is always leaking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the hotel <laughs> wallpaper is always peeling off in this kind of come like wallpaper mm-hmm. paste is like oozing down the walls all the time and it's yeah exactly the mm-hmm. same kind of consistency of this pus that's like coming out yeah. of john goodman's head and as you said like as he's in this hotel he has writer's block so the hotel also works as a metaphor for his writer's block yeah uh and then in his conversations with john goodman he's like uh oh i love the common man i get in touch with the common man so much and john goodman's <laughs> like oh i have some stories uh, John Goodman being himself the common man. I bet you do. Let yeah. me tell you. No one would listen to your stories. They don't know about the true theater. Yeah, it, it goes like uh, that. But then at the end, through all the flames and uh, Barton being handcuffed to the bed, uh, John Goodman's Charlie Meadows, Carl Munt, Mad Men Munt says, Mad uh, If it's not my weight, it's my mental state. I know, right? They're always picking on you for something. Uh, he says he can't escape. Uh and that also means like Barton can escape because he's the writer. He can just like also get out of his writer's block and also leave the hotel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is he does end up he does just walk out through the place yeah, through the front door. Like you think some big things gonna happen, but no, it's the holding scene just a ends. head in a box. Yeah, the scene you know? just ends with everything still on fire. It's trippy as hell it's very trippy it's yeah. trippy without being psychedelic which is not it's just i would say it's dreamlike it's yeah, dream it's it has surreal. it is dreamlike yeah, it's postmodern surreal, surreal. Yeah. yeah john goodman's anger causes yeah. the hallway to light on fire and you know the way the hotel's shot and the way it's constructed is it's like if you look down the hallway it seems infinite like they literally make it look like it goes on mm-hmm. forever and ever yeah. and ever you know they built uh they had to film that because they set the whole thing on fire they filmed it in a airplane hangar i believe uh so not not the actual set that they had for the hotel so they had to do that and they also had to have a standby hallway too (laughs) just because they 
until they get on fire. They had to like it's yeah. That's everyone one that's back as he's up. running down, things fire, 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 go <laughs> down. It's very. It's one of the cooler scenes in it's the movie. It's very well yeah. done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can kind of see where like the line of kerosene is because it's can, one yeah. line just going yeah. down the hallway. You do have to look for it. But it's like it's fine, it's, whatever. It's, it's a movie from 1991. Yeah. Yeah, Don't yeah, be yeah. a dick, you know. It's like, still uh, really, really cool because it's real fire that yeah. people have to stand very close to. Oh my god! And uh, I mean, I did like so. There's a phrase uh, which I'm not going to get exactly right, but like the terror of the blank page. I mean, if you want, I mean, that is kind of there are lots of horror movies about that, like The Shining, for instance, which is mm-hmm. also set in a hotel. But it very much has that vibe where it's like man versus page you know like that's uh-huh. that's the like organizing principle of the movie as he sits down and writes like five words and then gets interrupted by something and is so happy because he has no fucking clue what to write about because the thing is too he's written this movie about the common or this play about the common man that's very successful but you just hear snippets of it and like i said it sounds very much like any anything else you've heard and one of the things in it is like the cry of the fishmongers yeah you know, like, fresh fish here fresh fish <laughs> and then every time he sits down to write he's like also, there are fishmongers. <laughs> and you're like, that's like the only fucking thing he knows about the common man, you know, is there are fishmongers. I'm a writer, you monsters. I create. I create for a living. So one of the interesting things about the movie is it's one of these uh, very successful art slash Hollywood movies that's all about like how phony and terrible Hollywood is, oh, yeah. which is fun to watch. And there's that's a great genre, like the player and stuff like that. Um, but it's funny I, at a certain point in the movie, I was like, oh, fuck you, Coen brothers. Like you're extremely rich. You're extremely mm-hmm. successful. You get to do anything you want. And every famous person wants to be in your movie. And you're making a movie about like how terrible Hollywood is mm-hmm. like, y- fuck off. Like, you know, it's obviously not that terrible because like you have gotten to do so much there. And like, are, like, are you just trying to scare me away from going to Hollywood? Like, are you trying to keep it for yourself? Like <laughs> there is a scene where the head of the studio, uh, where he yells at Barton Fink, it says like, oh, I can't, I could replicate you, this Barton Fink feeling. I don't need uh, this uh, common man's, uh, the struggling stuff. Uh, I just want action and adventure. Yeah, I know. Uh, so especially Lel's items like, oh, you uh, get, you're dumb. You're I out. mean, there's so much in this movie about being a creative professional that actually like, mm-hmm. not that I am like the world's biggest creative professional, but it really resonated with me, which are a couple ideas. So like that scene, it's kind of about... So many times when you're a creative, it's people are, they'll say to you like, we absolutely love what you do. We want you to come in here and do exactly what you do, except do it completely differently mm-hmm. and do it exactly the way we want it. And don't do it the way you did it before at all, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and that happens all the time. And the people who are hiring you don't think that's weird at all. You know, <laughs> they just have this idea that like, oh, you're good. I want someone good to do my thing. But they don't understand that like, no, I'm good at this thing this thing that I do. I'm not good at your thing. I'm good at my thing. They're trying to... There's an idea if you're a writer that's like, oh, you're a good writer. Like, write me one of these things and then you'll do a good job. But like, that's not really how writing works. The way writing works is like, you're expressing yourself. And like he says, like Barton Fink says something I have thought a million times about myself and other people, which is... um maybe I only had this one story in me. Like, I don't know how to do anything else. Like, I wrote this play. It was a big success. And, like, I don't have any other ideas or even a capacity to write (laughs) anything else. Like, you know, but the people who aren't creative, they just think, like, oh, no, you're good at writing. Like, do this writing. And you're like, I don't don't know how to do that. Like, I I don't know what that is. I wouldn't know where to start. Mm -hmm. And they think you're, like, being modest or something. Mm -hmm. But you're like, literally, literally, I have no idea how to begin (laughs) that kind of shit, which is, like, what the whole movie's about. Yeah, the whole movie is about writing. And that gets into a very meta aspect of, uh, in the sense that how 
we write is how we interpret things, and writing is how we teach people too. Like how uh, I'm. This is a very big thought that <laughs> oh my this God. movie kind of touches. Let's on. See if you can bring it. It's like a fucking yeah. zeppelin. I can see it uh, in the sky. Like I want to. I want to see it latch to the Empire State Building. Uh, I can't land it. You it's can't. Such a, <laughs> there's a quote I wrote down oh, no. uh, that. Uh, writing does not deny the existence of the past. It does question whether we can ever know that past other than through the, its textualizing remains. So, like, who's to say what writing is true and what writing is just more of, like, that person's own interpretation, which this movie kind of gets into? Yeah. Is it? So that's just a quote about writing generally? Yeah. It's not, not about the uh, I think they did apply it to the, the Barton Fink. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's true, you know? I mean, as I light my pipe and put on my smoking jacket uh, and... <laughs> Have a sip of my whiskey. Caleb, what is truth? Yeah. Who who among us can say what truth is? I actually just started reading this book that's like a very famous book from the 80s among like annoying literary, like pop literary people from the time period. Um, uh, White Noise, this Dom DeLillo book. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, I had, I had never read it before. I'm reading it right now. I'm only like 50 pages into it. But in the beginning, there is this, he has this big argument with his son about like, what is reality? Like they're sitting in the car and it's raining and his, he, his son, it's like his son looks out the window and says, Oh, it's supposed to rain tonight. And the dad says, and it's raining right now. Like you can see. And then the son's like, well, the radio said it's going to rain tonight. And then it's like, <laughs> you can see it's raining. And then he goes, well, how do I know that's rain? What is right now? Like maybe it's something else that isn't rain. <laughs> maybe by the time it's right now, uh, the rain will be done, you know? <laughs> and the dad's like, well, it's, you can see it coming down from the sky. It's what gets you wet. And he's like, well, are we wet? We're both here. We're not wet. <laughs> and you know, it's like, it's exactly like what you're talking about, you know. <laughs> I think even like the final scene might help with the point. Like, uh, so in his hotel room, there's like no view. Uh, it's very drab. Like the only escapism he has is this one picture. This picture, right? Uh, yeah. Of a woman shielding her eyes at the beach. And so after he gets uh, basically like sent to purgatory and fired from his studio job, he goes to the... Well, no, it's worse than that. He doesn't get fired. Oh, they doesn't. say, you have to work here forever oh, yeah. and we're never going to produce anything you write, <laughs> which is like, it's the worst. Defeatism, yeah. yeah. He goes to the beach and sees a lady. Uh, a lady! They, yeah, have, they have a nice conversation and she uh, just sits down and does the thing from the beach and a bird also goes in the water in a very weird way. But also, it's like more about like... It's like she looks exactly like the painting the, the from painting, his hotel yeah. room. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, in a way, it's like that was his escapism uh, from the hotel that he uh, escaped from, kind of, that situation. So, now it's like the reality is blurred in the sense that he's part of the actual story of the hotel or part of the actual... Uh, his own purgatory like the reality yeah. of the hotel. Yeah. Like Hollywood has overtaken him that much and he's yeah. forever given his soul over, which is maybe what the Cohen brothers were saying about themselves. About themselves as they... Right. Exactly. As they struggled yeah. and failed to write, uh, Miller's crossing. <laughs> um, I mean, it's interesting. It's so all the stuff you're talking about this, this, and all the stuff we talked about before, like the fire spontaneously exploding, the like, uh, wallpaper falling down, the oozing things like, these are all things that have lent a certain kind of person uh, to endlessly make theories about what this movie means. It's kind of funny because it's it's kind of the same impulse you get in like Game of Thrones fan culture where you're like, oh, I'm going to tell you like what's going to happen, you know, or what it, what all these things mean, except it's like happening in universities, you know, yeah. where it's like people with like doctorates who are like, I'll explain to you the uh, semiotics of this movie. <laughs> 
where and, you know and there is a lot you can make a lot of arguments about like yeah you're saying John Goodman is the hotel and I'm saying like he's in hell and it's all a thing about hell and you know there's all sorts of different things like connections you can make I read something that was like it was actually on the coenbrothers.net or something which I don't know if that's their official site or whatever .net <laughs> .net I know maybe it was coenbrothers.com where they're saying like oh it all comes down to uh, fire and water and you can see water coming out of some of the characters like uh, Barton Fink is a water and Charlie is a fire and they're like you know Charlie's making fire and Barton needs to needs to be near water but it's like the Coen brothers many times have said like we wrote this movie in a couple weeks it is what it is yeah. you know like it's not really that kind of, like there's nothing to get it just this is this movie we wrote and it's like has some very obvious you know metaphors and then some just some kind of like metaphysical action mm-hmm. you know and I I there's and it's kind of funny because the whole time Barton is working on a wrestling picture which is they just keep telling him like just write a wrestling yeah, picture just write, it's just good guy, two bad guy. people yeah. who fight in a ring uh, that has all the poetry you need and it's kind of like uh, the people who uh, have been analyzing this movie for 30 years don't like refuse to accept that it's just a wrestling picture you know what i mean they're like oh no i'm sure there's like a million and, and not to say there's no meaning in it but it's like at a certain point you know it's a couple guys wrote in a couple weeks it's a movie you know? full charge so full of meaning and that meaning comes from just writing because it is so aware of its writing and that self-awareness just like messes with your mind, man. You just like get your brain thinking like you could just talk about it. Like we could have just did like a good like five minute like, oh, yeah, this is great because this, 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 which we did. And then we yeah, right, got sure. into the more meta aspects <laughs> of it. Uh, like, yeah, I think this is one of Steve Buscemi's first movies, too. And he is Chet. like he's barely in it. He's the front desk clerk yeah, and he has about four Comes lines. up with a shoe. <laughs> comes, Stops that bell from ringing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. There Spins is this a great book. scene so weird. when Barton Fink first gets to the hotel, he rings the bell at the hotel. But then the note carries for like yeah. a full two minutes or something. It has to be stopped by Steve Buscemi touching it with his <laughs> finger because otherwise it'll never stop. Very. There's a lot of weird stuff in it. I, it's absolutely amazing. I always forget how great it is. Uh, maybe because I only watch it once every like two or like four or five years. Yeah, right. Uh, but it is my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Is it really? I I couldn't say that. I mean, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it yeah. was fantastic, and I was so glad to finally be watching yeah. it. Uh, what is your favorite Con Brahma? I don't know. How can you pick a thing like that? I mean, it changes over time. When I was a younger man, I would have told you Raising Arizona was my favorite. Mm-hmm. So Hail Caesar is your favorite. Now. Hail Caesar. Well, it is actually funny. I was thinking about Hail Caesar a <laughs> lot while this movie? watching this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Well, because they're kind of related in a way. Oh, old Hollywood. Yeah. It's their movies about old Hollywood. And it is funny because I was saying this is a movie that's all about like old Hollywood sucks dick. But um, Hail Caesar's movie about like old Hollywood is the best in the yeah. whole world. Like we love Hollywood. We made us who it are. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you can certainly see a difference when you fast forward like yeah, 25 years in their lives where they're <laughs> like, actually, Hollywood's the best. You know? <laughs> we is- game the system and now we can do. Here's Channing Tatum dancing. Here's Channing Tatum. Is, we were, here's a 10 minute tap dance sequence. Like <laughs> just sit back and enjoy it. You know, like it's pretty amazing. Actually, they're kind of they're related to me. Sure. Sure. I agree. Um, with that. You know, and I, I don't know what it is now, you know. I actually... Uh, Just say Fargo. Fargo. It's Fargo. Of course it's Fargo. Of course it's Fargo. So uh, I feel like that's it for these two movies. We've been talking like a hell of a long time. Yeah, we're going to edit a lot of it out. <laughs> so yeah, actually best choice movie between these two movies. Ooh, that's very it's a hard. toughie. It's very tough. It's very hard. I would... I'm going to go with uh, Barton Fink just because it's older and I've had more time to sit with it and, and process it and, and it's yeah. more space my brain. I'd say it's in the canon, yeah. you know. But I love Burning. Burning was my favorite movie of 2018. I mean, I would almost 100% agree with everything you said. I think Barton Fink 
I mean, you have to go with Barton Fink. It's a it's a classic, mm-hmm. you know. Even though it's as we're saying, it has its issues mm-hmm. and it's not uh, perfect, but um, just and because Burning, we'll have to see how that fits into the mm-hmm. canon as it plays out over time. But I I thought Burning was a fantastic movie, especially if you like Hakuri, uh, if, especially Hukimura if you Kami. like especially if you like Murakami at all, then it's absolutely a great oh, movie. Yeah. yeah, if you like Stephen Yuen, it's like a fantastic if you movie. Want, uh, just a new movie that will surprise you yeah. that you haven't seen and you definitely need to watch more foreign film in your life. Yeah, you should definitely check it out. Netflix, should, Netflix right now. Definitely check it out. And it's also, on Netflix right yeah. now for free. Yeah. And also Barton Fink's on Hulu. Yeah, which to I, help you to go watch stuff. I rented it from Amazon. I should not have done. You silly goose. I know. I blame my smart TV. Um, okay, so now for real, that is the show this week, kitties. Thank you so much for listening. What a pleasure it was to hang out with you for this little bit of time. It was. Rest in peace, Tim Conway. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah, rest in peace, Tim Conway. Yeah, yeah. giant of the sketch comedy genre. Yeah, but ironically, not a giant in stature. You know, yeah, yeah. it always works out that way. Uh, and that's the show we'll be back in a couple weeks with another couple movies dog that's how this fucking thing works then you get nitrogen Um, thank you so much for coming goodbye